You're listening to episode six of Rainbow Baby, a podcast documenting a journey of pregnancy after loss. I'm your host, Taylor Bates. In May 2018, my first child, Ellis, was stillborn at 31 weeks for unknown reasons. In the depths of unimaginable grief, my husband Hunter and I knew we wanted to try again. Since then, we've experienced new pregnancies and more loss. We're still hoping for our rainbow baby, which is defined as a baby born subsequent to a miscarriage, stillbirth, or the death of an infant from natural causes. I want to share my story with you because life after pregnancy loss can be so isolating. You'll also hear conversations with others who've walked this path before me. In this episode, I give an update on our journey trying to conceive. I talk about our first visit to a fertility clinic and our next steps after multiple chemical pregnancies. I learned a lot from the experience, and I hope you do too. Here's the episode. Two weeks ago, I visited a fertility clinic after being referred by my OB because I'd had another chemical pregnancy, my third one in less than a year. My OB had put me on progesterone for the last four cycles and also baby aspirin in hopes that it would help prevent another miscarriage, but clearly it wasn't helping. I got pregnant two out of four cycles. The first resulted in a miscarriage and the other a chemical pregnancy. My OB had tapped out of her resources and we both agreed it was time to meet with a specialist. I'd been putting off seeing a specialist because it had been so easy to get pregnant with Ellis and I assumed he wouldn't have any issues getting pregnant again, but I'd finally hit my breaking point. I did some research online prior to talking with my OB to get a feel for the fertility clinics in town and have an idea of what I might be getting into. I found a clinic that I really liked that has a doctor who specializes in recurrent pregnancy loss. As it turned out, my OB recommended the exact clinic and doctor, and even said that she and that doctor did their residency together. That made me feel good about moving forward. In a way, I wish we'd done this sooner. Perhaps we could have gotten more answers or avoided a miscarriage. I'll never know. But I'm glad we're here now. Leading up to the appointment with the fertility specialist, I was really hopeful about trying something new. We had been going through the same pattern of tracking, trying, and waiting every month on our own, with generally the same result. More often than not, we were getting pregnant, but not staying pregnant. It either ended in a chemical pregnancy or a miscarriage. I was looking forward to having a team of specialists take over tracking everything for us, and also hopefully helping us to find answers. I've read so much online on my own and have given myself countless diagnoses, but I'm not a doctor. I've wasted a lot of energy doing this. I think it's important to be informed, but sometimes I cross over into being skeptical or even paranoid about what doctors tell me. Every time my OB prescribed me something or gave me a recommendation, I'd go home and research it myself. Perhaps because it gave me a sense of control in a situation where I felt pretty powerless. I felt good about my clinic from the first time I called to make an appointment. The staff was very attentive and kind, which felt like a different level of care than I was used to. My first thought was, this feels expensive. They sent me and Hunter separate online questionnaires to complete, which ended up taking me about an hour. It was so extensive and included questions about my medical history as well as my family members. At the end, I had an opportunity to write about my fertility journey and what my expectations are for treatment. I basically told them that I don't want to experience any more loss, if at all possible, and that I'm pretty much willing to try anything they tell me at this point if it can help us to have a healthy baby. 
My mom went with me for our first appointment because Hunter had a conflict at work, and I didn't want to push the appointment back any later. When we arrived, the waiting room was full and a bit small for the amount of people that were inside. There were many couples, and I could sense an air of melancholy in the room. These were people who'd been through a tough journey. We got called in and met with my doctor. She was very kind, but also straightforward, which I appreciated. She went through a presentation with us in her office about fertility and recurrent loss. She described the two issues that could be causing my chemical pregnancies, either a chromosomal problem or a problem with my fallopian tubes or uterus that is prohibiting the embryos from attaching. She also showed us a slide with a bar graph depicting how women's rate of fertility declines with age. For a healthy woman in her 20s, the chance of her naturally conceiving and carrying a baby to term is 25%, and for a healthy 32-year-old woman, it only goes down to 22%. But for me, she said, based on our history of loss, she thinks we have about a 5% chance of getting pregnant naturally and carrying to term. This was super dismaying to hear. She said normally they wouldn't count chemical pregnancies as miscarriages, but in my case she is because of how many we've had. It was a lot of information to take in, but I'd also already read a lot of it before. Afterwards, our doctor recommended we do a scan of my uterus as well as blood work that included genetic testing. She did the scan and confirmed that I'd ovulated from my right ovary that month. We'd already tried that month and I was wondering if we'd be able to see anything on the scan. I thought about how great it would be to get pregnant right after going to see a fertility specialist. The doctor also saw several follicles on each of my ovaries, which was a good sign. I asked her if she could see my C-section scar from Ellis, and she could, which she pointed out to me. She said it looked good and was in a good location to try for a vaginal birth with my next pregnancy. This was contrary to what my OB had recommended, which was a repeat C-section, and the only option her hospital will allow. During the scan, the doctor also pointed out a slight dip in my uterus, which might mean I have a heart-shaped uterus. The doctor said she would confirm this with a sonohysterogram scan, where they'll fill my uterus with saline to see its shape a week after my next period starts. After the scan, I went to get my blood drawn, and the nurse said she needed 20 vials. 20 vials! She said it would be the most I'd ever have to give to them. I'd never had that much drawn before. She handed me a foam sperm to squeeze while she drew my blood. This made me laugh. There were also sperm decals on the ground to direct visitors through the office hallway. I appreciated the levity in an environment that can feel glum. The nurse got 17 vials of blood from one arm until it finally slowed down, and she had to switch to the other. Amazingly, I wasn't really affected by it and felt fine afterwards. After the appointment, I felt pretty deflated, not because of the loss of blood, but because of the information overload and the prospect of a 5% chance of getting pregnant naturally and caring to term. My perception of going to a fertility clinic was that it would be invasive, expensive, and ultimately resort in interventions such as IVF. Some of these things ended up being true for us, but I was surprised that my insurance actually covered quite a bit of my treatment. We only had to pay $99 for our genetic testing and a copay for the doctor's visit. I did have to get my primary care doctor to give me a referral to see the specialist, but we were able to do it over the phone without making any extra doctor's visits. I asked one of the nurses at the clinic how many of their patients are doing IVF, and she said, the majority. I wrote a post on social media sharing my experience and was so encouraged by the response I received. 
Many people wrote supportive messages, and five women reached out to me to share that they had either successfully had babies with the same clinic or are currently receiving treatment there. Everyone spoke very highly of the clinic and my doctor, which made me feel like I'm in good hands. It was also interesting to see how this opened a new door to the fertility journey and IVF community, similar to how stillbirth and miscarriage opened the door to the pregnancy loss community. Each time, I've been surprised by how many people I know who've walked these paths. A few days later, I got a call from my nurse with some of the results from my blood work. It turned out that my thyroid was elevated at 2.8, and the clinic wanted it to be below 2.4. They wanted me to start taking a medication called Synthroid right away to bring my levels down to normal. I got the prescription filled that day and started taking it the next morning. I'm normally hesitant to take a prescription medication, but not with this one. I've actually had symptoms of hypothyroidism, mainly fatigue, and my mom even pointed out that when we're together sometimes, I'll have to take a nap, and she won't, and she's almost twice my age. Over the past year, I've attributed this to grief and hormonal imbalance, but I'm encouraged that maybe there's another answer. To my surprise, five days after my visit to the clinic, I got a faint positive pregnancy test. I tested again the next day, and the line grew darker. I got excited and called the clinic to see about taking a blood test. They wanted me to come in and confirm that same day that my HCG was at a 12, which the nurse said was very early in the pregnancy. They wanted to test me again 72 hours later to see if it would double, which could indicate a viable pregnancy. Three days later, my HCG doubled to 25. I asked the nurse if this was an okay number and told her that I was worried about a chemical pregnancy because of my history. She said, to be honest, that the number was low, but that it was advancing normally and that she'd seen lower numbers that resulted in a full-term pregnancy. I started growing anxious that the pregnancy wasn't going to last because my HCG was low, and the line on the pregnancy test grew more faint a few days later. I ended up getting my period while on vacation in LA with my mom and sister. This was such a familiar emotional roller coaster, my fourth chemical pregnancy but I was glad that the clinic was able to track this one, which I'd never had done before. My progesterone and thyroid levels were normal during each blood draw, which gave my doctor more information about what could be going on. All of this can make me feel like I'm totally out of control of my body. I do so much to stay healthy and it doesn't even seem to matter. I can do all the holistic things and all the medical recommendations and still have the same recurrent problem. It makes me feel like something is wrong with my body. Many other moms I know who lost babies around the same time as Ellis are already pregnant again or have had other babies. Sometimes it seems like everyone else is pregnant except for me. I'm hoping that all of this testing will give us some answers, but I'm also scared of what those answers may or may not reveal. What if there's something really wrong with us? Or what if there's nothing wrong with us at all? There are downsides to both outcomes. Yet I know ultimately that knowledge is power. The more we can find out, the easier it will be for our doctor to point us in the right direction. That has been my prayer, that our doctor will be guided rightly. Hunter and I talked before our first appointment about how we want to stay connected and aligned through wherever this journey takes us. He's been so supportive, and I'm lucky to have him as my partner. He's being tested too, and we'll have a semen analysis as well as genetic screening. We'll get all of our results a few days from now when I'll also have my sonohysterogram. Say that one two times fast. 
I keep reminding myself that fertility treatment is a privilege. When I start to feel down about it all, I think about how grateful I am to have access to this treatment and to have a reputable clinic and doctor. I'm lucky to be able to afford it and to have good medical insurance. No one is forcing me to do this. Rather, we are electing to do it. Gratitude doesn't make our situation suck any less, but it does give me perspective. This path is an option I'm privileged to be on. And as a friend reminded me, I'm in the driver's seat. I hope this episode was meaningful for you. If you'd like to connect with me, you can visit taylorashleybates.com and also find me on Instagram. Please share this podcast with anyone you know who is currently walking through life after pregnancy loss, whether they are trying to conceive, currently pregnant, or parenting after loss. And please subscribe and review this podcast. Your feedback will help shape this podcast and will also help others to find it. Stay tuned for the next episode, where I talk with photographer Devin Travieso, a father of two daughters, including a rainbow baby, following two miscarriages. Devin speaks openly and honestly about miscarriage and the hardships of pregnancy after loss that affected him and his wife. He also goes into detail about pregnancy after loss from a father's perspective, which is often overlooked. Devin has shared openly about their losses on Instagram and also posts beautiful photos of his family along with the lifestyle photos he shoots professionally. I look forward to sharing his story with you. I'm Taylor Bates. Thank you so much for listening.